0: Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So a lot of people will ask me, particularly people who are outside of the field of psychology, how does a person know when they're done with therapy? How does a person know exactly when they're better? And for people who work in fields where there's always sort of a concrete answer. There's a number or something that they're trying to achieve. And when they achieve said number, then the job is done. And so for people like that, it's a little bit hard to understand. You know, how do you know when you don't have a concrete answer? How do you know? when someone is better. So people don't usually get better after one or two sessions. And people don't, on the other hand, need 10 years to be in therapy or in some cases, 20 to 25 years to be in therapy. In my opinion, when people are in therapy for that long, it's probably not going well for them. Now, there are many people who will argue, psychologists in particular, who will argue that the type of therapy that they do um, requires years, and it's about the relationship, and it's about reparenting people, and um, I'm specifically kind of referring to those who are analysts. And that is how they believe therapy should be conducted multiple times multiple times a week for years. And it's just my personal opinion that it really shouldn't take that long for people to see big changes in their life. I also don't believe that you need to have concrete goals when you get to therapy in order to be getting better and to be working towards something. You don't have to come to therapy and say, well, I know I really need to quit my job and so you got to help me to do that. And then we work together and then the person quits their job and that's concrete evidence that they got better. Um, Because it's not always that simple. Now, part of why it's not that simple is that what we call the presenting problem isn't always the problem. So the presenting problem is the thing that somebody walks into therapy to work on, right? I'm not getting along with my wife, I wanna quit my job, I need more friends, whatever the presenting problem is, that's what we call, that's the thing that the person comes in with that they want to work on. Now, what happens is that that might be what they're there to work on, but when we start talking and figuring out the depths of someone's relationships with other people and their history and that sort of thing, we often realize that that isn't exactly the problem. That the problem is probably more complicated than that, or sometimes even totally different than that. So whatever someone presents with isn't necessarily what we end up working on. It's simply the impetus for why they came to therapy. And I've said this before, a lot of times people will come into therapy and they'll say, I really don't want to feel upset about this thing that is stressful for me in my life. I'd really like you to help me feel less. And, you know, quite frankly, I am not in the business of helping people to feel more numb in their life or to ignore their problems or to compartmentalize more. I think most people, or at least high-functioning people, are pretty good at compartmentalizing and pushing their feelings aside and they certainly don't need any help with that. So they will come in and the problem is that they're feeling too much and they wish they could just feel less, right? So as a psychologist, I'm not going to agree with that and and try to teach them ways of ignoring problems. That's not what's going to happen right? And so I will tell people that that it's going to be the opposite of that, that we're going to have you use your emotions in a way that is helpful to you, that helps guide your decisions better in life. And it's usually not going to consist of you just ignoring things, ignoring emotions more. That's not how it's going to look. So, sorry to tell anybody out there who was planning on going to therapy to find a way to ignore their feelings under stressful circumstances. You're not going to get that. Now pretty early on um, in my experience of doing therapy with people, I learned that there were sort of three phases of therapy. There was the getting to know you phase where, you know, I take my initial intake interview and I ask people questions about where they grew up and where their family is from and all that good stuff in their history. And, you know, as we sort of get into it after that, this phase continues into what they see the problems as being in their lives and sort of everyday things that stress them out and what they wanna work on and all that good stuff. So there's like sort of a, a getting to know you phase that gets extended for a while. And that is what most people can tolerate, let's say. It's the second phase of therapy that sometimes gets people to leave and never come back again. And that second phase is where people begin to realize that whatever problem they came in with, whatever they thought they were going to work on, it turns out that that's not the thing that they need to work on, or it's one of the things that they need to work on. And it's so much more complicated than that. So what happens is people come in and they say, oh, you know, I need to work on my relationship with my father, something like that and we start talking about it and getting into it and then we realize like it's not just about the father it's about a whole bunch of other people in their lives too and it's more complicated than that and um then the person sort of realizes like oh this is gonna take a lot longer than i ever thought or things are worse than I had sort of imagined them to be. And this is a very uncomfortable phase for people. And there's one of two ways of dealing with this. You either go on and go forward and face everything and and work in therapy on your issues, or you get the hell out because it's so uncomfortable. And I had a friend who would tell me this, that, he would say, you know, I've been to this therapist or that therapist, and, and I went for, th- for three months with this person and three months with that person, and it never really did anything for me. And when, I, when he first presented that to me, I thought, oh, okay, you just didn't find the right therapist kind of thing. And then I realized that he had seen multiple therapists. The, the therapy was always sort of ending after approximately three months. And then I started to realize that it's not because the therapist wasn't the right fit for him, and he realized that at the three-month mark, it was that at three months is like where you start doing the real work, where you're out of the getting-to-know-you phase and you start to have to face the reality of your problems And so I think what was happening is my friend was sort of going and trying to find a quick and easy fix. And when he realized it wasn't going to be so quick or easy, that's when he bailed and blamed the therapist and tried to find somebody else. And this was sort of a pattern that went on for years. And I think that this is true of a lot of people, that I have that experience on my end where people come and they uh, stay for a little while, but just when we start getting into the nitty-gritty of things and it starts to get real, then all of a sudden their schedule doesn't work anymore or they just sort of disappear off the face of the earth. And so that's the second phase of therapy. So the third and final phase of therapy is when people have come in they face their problems they've learned to work through all their problems and what happens is that they get enthusiastic about facing more problems so we'll work through some really tough stuff from childhood and their family and all this stuff and we work through the past and then we're we've been working through the present on how to deal with things in the present And they're feeling really good and they have a lot of relief. And then they just start coming in with everything. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, I just had this little altercation with my boss. It wasn't that big a deal, but how could I have handled it differently? And what are the tools that I need to work on in this area of my life? And people just get excited about working on whatever they can come up with. They just get excited because they realize that with their new tools, they can face anything and face it really effectively. And they get so much more relief in their life that they just wanna like bring everything into therapy. And that's the third and final phase um, where we start kind of ending our time together. And it's wonderful to watch people get so excited about dealing with things and reflecting on how they dealt with things and wanting to know what they can do better and just really getting into that self-improvement stuff. And that's really, really rewarding as a psychologist to see people get there. And it's funny because if you've worked with somebody for a while, you don't always think about how they were when they first got there. But there are times where I end up reflecting back and remembering the state that that person was in when I first met them versus now, and the change is so huge. And I'll even notice that inside of myself. I'll think back to the first sessions when I first started working with someone And I will remember I felt tense or I felt anxious when when I saw them or I felt like I didn't know what the heck we were going to do because they were such a mess or or, or whatever it is or they were prickly or they were kind of rude towards me or, or whatever it is. But I know that a person is in sort of the home stretch when I see their names on my roster and I look forward to seeing them. I get excited about seeing them because I know that we're just doing nothing but good work from here on out, and the hard part is over, and that always feels really good. Now, I have to say that not everybody gets there, and it's not just an easy trajectory upwards there are a lot of people who come and they get through phase 1 and they get through almost phase 2 and then they disappear and when i was uh, younger you know, less experienced therapist, I would always take it personally, like, oh, this person didn't come back. I wonder what I said. I must have offended them, right? I I would think about what I did wrong in some way. And just having been around as long as I have, I know that these people often actually do come back later. Sometimes people will be working on stuff very intensely and then they'll just kind of disappear. Either they'll completely disappear or they'll suddenly have scheduling issues and we can't s- sort of get it together. Um, and then I won't see them and a year will pass by or six months or something. And then they will call me again and they will say, I need to come back. You know, And usually it's like something stressful is happening in their lives right now and they wanna come back. But from my perspective, what I usually notice is that They could only go so far the first time that I saw them. They were only capable of working through, say, problems A, B, and C, but they weren't quite ready to deal with problem D because that was a really big one or that one was a really deep one or it was just sort of prohibitive because they needed to get out of a relationship and they were living with the person at the time and so they couldn't even go there. They could not even deal with it at that time. And then, you know, a year later, they'll be like, oh, I broke off that relationship, but I got this other thing going on in my life now. And so now they're ready to move forward again. And so, you know, it therapy really wasn't necessarily over at the end, at the end of the time that I saw them. And occasionally I will get people that I'm working with and they'll say, Oh, I think I'm better now and I'm ready to leave and I've really worked through some things and blah 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 blah, we're all good. Even though I won't see it that way at all. A lot of times people will kinda stop coming as often like they've decided it's expensive and they're on a budget and that's understandable and they'll start coming like every other week in order to afford it and that kind of thing. But um, you know every other week is really for the home stretch that's really for people who have worked through their stuff and are um, ready to kind of manage things on their own you know every other week for cost reasons isn't necessarily a good idea but I understand it economically people can only do what they can do And so I accommodate people, of course. But a lot of times what I see is that somebody's really in the thick of dealing with their problems. You know, we're really getting into the nitty gritty of things and they're like, "Uh, yeah, I'm going to come every other week. It's like, and then we have to, we kind of forget what we were talking about the last time we saw each other. And then you have holidays getting in the way and that kind of thing. And it really kind of ruins the continuity. And so that sort of, self-determining about how how much they're gonna work on things isn't really the same thing as getting better and tapering down for good reasons. So just kind of getting into the specifics of what better actually looks like in therapy. It's not that people get to a place where they don't have any problems anymore right it's like if you grew up in a dysfunctional environment and your parents are still alive chances are you're going to still sort of encounter the problems that you have with them but hopefully you have the right kind of tools for dealing with their crap you know and then life just sort of happens too that We There's nothing we can do about loved ones passing away or car accidents or losing jobs or any of that stuff. Life is still going to continue to happen and crappy things are still going to happen. But once you've healed through therapy, the new you can actually handle all the crappy things and the crises of life so much better than you were equipped to handle them before therapy. Another way that a person might be better is that they are able to set boundaries with people. They're able to set boundaries with sort of the toxic dysfunctional people in their lives that have mess them up for a long time, and they start saying no, and they start telling the dysfunctional people that they can only see them under certain conditions, and um, they stick with those boundaries, and they learn to manage those kind of dysfunctional but unavoidable relationships with boundaries, right? And Maybe that means a dysfunctional family member, maybe that means a boss, but you know, sometimes we have these people in our lives that they're not going anywhere. And so you can't really do anything except for keep them at arm's length and assert your boundaries and assert what you're willing to do for them and what you're not willing to do for them, what you're willing to put up with from a behavioral standpoint and what you're not willing to put up with. And when your boundaries are clear, no matter how dysfunctional the people are you encounter, you will feel much better and you won't be affected so much by the the dysfunction and and the toxicity. Along those same lines, kind of taking boundaries a step further, is that people really learn to accept themselves and accept all parts of themselves and feel good about who they are. And they get to a place in their life where they stop apologizing for who they are. And this is something that I've talked about um, in terms of like introverts before, right? It seems like pre-pandemic, the extroverts ruled the world and all the introverts were always sort of apologizing for needing time alone and not feeling comfortable around crowds and all that stuff. But truly, you know, it's not dysfunctional to be an introvert. It's just a different way of being. And so much like an introvert, you know, people who have healed through therapy, get to a place where they accept themselves for the way they are and how they are. And they no longer apologize, but just sort of let the people around them know, hey, this is who I am. This is what I need. And I'm okay with that. And I hope that you are too. But if you're not, that's your problem. You know, and even taking it, a step further than that. And I call this part sort of varsity level. When people can get to a place in their life where they absolutely unconditionally love themselves completely. And this is the biggest hurdle in therapy because even the most high functioning people have some parts of themselves that they don't particularly like. There's some part of themselves that's maybe fearful, let's say, for example. And they don't like that part of themselves because they are the person who kicks ass at work. And they don't want anyone to see any kind of fear or weakness in themselves. And so they do the best they can to sort of ignore that part of themselves but when you've healed in therapy you come to a place where you understand that you have this part of you who is fearful or who has some issues but you understand where those issues came from you understand why that part of you is afraid and you end up using that, recognizing moments in your life when that part of you comes out and using that information to make better decisions about maybe where you should be, what circumstances you should be in, what people you should be around and use that part of yourself that you used to not like so much to help you to manage your emotions and make your decisions about where you wanna be and who you wanna be with. And that part of you that you tried to ignore for so long actually becomes an asset in guiding you through your future. That's the hardest hurdle that anybody has in therapy. And the final stretch, the real end, When everything is working well, when you have healed, when you are using your coping skills, when you are setting your boundaries, when you are practicing unconditional self-love, the other thing that will happen is you will find yourself surrounded by healthy people and you will find yourself in healthy relationships. And I talked about this before in the episode about your team, there's no we in team, right? The kind of people that you surround yourself with are people who lift you up, people who support you, people who encourage you, people who are doing well in their own lives too, and that you can have an interdependent relationship with, in which you help each other along and bring out the best in one another. And so this is what healing looks like, that you just are better equipped to handle everything that comes into your life, no matter what it is. So again, that's not to say that shit isn't gonna happen because it is, it's life. There will be things that will happen that you won't see coming, and they're going to suck. But you're going to be okay because you love yourself. You know how to set boundaries. You've got all of the tools for handling difficult situations. And you just work your way through and manage. And it turns out that when you're healed, you'll be proud of yourself for working through difficult circumstances in life. And so that's what healing looks like from the perspective of a psychologist. That's what it is from my perspective. And so if you are in therapy now, figure out what phase you're in. If you're in sort of the beginning getting to know you phase or you're in the middle of it where it's really uncomfortable um, or you're at the end where you're just ready to kind of handle the next thing that comes your way. And just know that what it should look like is light at the end of the tunnel. That when you go into the tunnel, there's going to be darkness for a while. But the minute you catch a glimpse of light, everything will get better and you'll just want more and more light and you will want to step into the light. And so that's my two cents on what it's like to heal in therapy and I wish you the best and I hope that you get there, that you get to have those wonderful feelings of being able to just deal with whatever comes your way. Be well and thanks for listening.